podcast listener. Even if you are alone in your entrepreneurial journey, know that today, right now in your earbuds, you are joined by thousands of entrepreneurs from all around the globe seeking to grow better, more profitable, location-independent businesses. If you'd like to learn more about what we do and download our entire back catalog, check out tropicalmba.com. It's the TNBA podcast. What are our core beliefs here? We believe in Barcelona and bicycles. <laughs> New show. We are in person, which I don't think has much of a net effect on the podcast, except it's more difficult for our sound engineer. We'll let them decide, the listener. I enjoy it. This show is all about financial freedom and flexibility through entrepreneurship. We've been doing it for a long time, man. We got started in 2006. I really started drinking the entrepreneurial Kool-Aid. You know what the moment was for me? The moment was right after I got a big raise. Mm -hmm. Sometimes it's when you get what you want that you realize it's not what you wanted. And so I sort of thought that making a lot of money would get me what I wanted. I'm like, man, and now I can start making moves. And then I was like, I'm not making any moves. There's nothing that's happening. I can't, I'm basically in the same position that I wasn't before. And that's when I started discovering entrepreneurs through blogs. And I was like, hmm, that's interesting. Because if you start a software company, if you start an e-commerce company, you can live somewhere else for a while if you think it's cool. You know, you can take Wednesday off. Favorite day of the week to take off. <laughs> <laughs> I'm trying to think of my moment when I became, or when I knew that I had to become an entrepreneur. Dude, you were always an entrepreneur. I was, I was. You're like, like, I can't believe you even had a job. You know, like when you were in San Diego, you were always the guy with like extra cash because you had like these gigs on the weekends. You were parking cars. You were a busboy at a fancy restaurant. And then you would invite us, give us free food and stuff. You were like the consistent hustler. I think I had a moment and it was kind of similar to yours, which is you know, we call it the corner office test. You look down the hallway, you see the office on the corner, like that is as far as there is to go. That's the biggest office, the best view. I thought like, oh man, like I went to school for four years with like the hope that like 10 years from now, I make it down to that office. And then like, I can already see out of those windows. Like when I walk by, do I need to really be sitting at that right. desk? Like the absurdity of like plopping yourself in the middle of an office and having to battle yourself just to have a view of the outside. <laughs> Of the parking lot, by the way. That was like my entire inherited reality, and I, I believed it. I was so stuck. And then you read about these entrepreneurs, and you're like, is that for real? It's hard to like imagine yourself in that position. And for me, and we're going to get to a little bit of this today on, on the pod, but it wasn't until I started doing some entrepreneurial things and meeting entrepreneurial people where I was like, you know what? They're not like that much different from me. And they just have a different belief about the world. Like they can go make money themselves on their own terms. Like that's a self-belief that they had because they had done certain things that I hadn't done. One of the things that we did was we put up a landing page for our first product, a valet parking podium. Ian designed it in Photoshop and we put up this sales page and we were like, this is the product that we intend to have. We didn't quite have it yet, where we had one prototype, which was unsellable. We had one prototype. I don't think it was we intend to sell this. It was like, this is for sale. Yes. And then we started to get some sales. Which we then refunded. Immediately refunded. I right. think this might be illegal. I'm not sure. But 
no worries. Right. It's past the statute of limitations. Yes. So we called the guys who bought the stuff and we were like, what's going on? Why did you buy this? Yeah. And they would say like, oh, well, the other companies won't ship to the Dominican Republic or the other companies, you know, didn't have as nice of a website. We just started to get some ideas for like what these people in this marketplace wanted. We had gotten to the point where we were making $13,000 a month. This was many months later after six months of you're working full time on it. I'm working every night and weekend on it. And you're paying your cost of goods and everything. There was basically no real money left for anybody. And I was like, fuck it, I'm quitting. Just the fact that that was our $13,000. I was like, I'm sleeping on mom's couch and I'm making 13 into 26. And then it went a lot bigger than that. But it wouldn't have gone bigger than that if we were subjected to this thing that we're going to talk about today. That's right. Which is analysis paralysis. Today, we're going to talk about one of our most daunting afflictions in the entrepreneurial community. Believe it or not, there's a Wikipedia entry for this. As we're discussing, you know, what is analysis paralysis? Turns out this is actually a real thing that we didn't come up with. <laughs> this is a problem, and it's been around for a long time. Yeah. I want to roll a clip from an interview I did a few weeks ago. I was listening to the show and other shows like this and going on blogs a lot. And I think what I came to is analysis paralysis, which prevented me from taking action. And I think it happens a lot because you feel very productive reading about stuff and learning it. When in reality, I realized later that if you just do it first and then fix the mistakes afterwards, it works out a lot better. So that was Neil Parikh, who has a really cool business, made this. And we recently had him on the show. That was his parting shot. Man, analysis paralysis. I wish I wouldn't have gotten so caught up in it. So what we're going to do today is we're going to talk about what it is. We're going to round out this concept, how it affects us, and then talk about some ways we can battle it for the better. All right, and so here are the five ways that analysis paralysis can sneak its way into your life. Number one, information overload. The internet is a great place. <laughs> Books are a great place. Podcasts are a great place. The problem these days is that there's almost no limit on how much you can learn because there's no limit on the information. Let me put this in a context for you. When we were first starting our company back in 2006, a physical company, we were making valet parking podiums. Dan, how much information do you think there is on the web about making valet parking podiums? None. There's absolutely zero. I don't think I even found a half of a plan. So for us, what had to happen was, first we had to go look at the competitor's products. Then we had to sit down and design it. I could have seen where there would have been a little bit of analysis paralysis around the software, but we already had a piece of software. It was SolidWorks. So there was no thinking to be done there. It was like, we're going to use SolidWorks. We're going to go after these guys. We understand their products and we're going to design them. And lucky for us, as it relates to analysis paralysis, there was no information online how to do this. So we actually had to just sit down and start working out the problems on a piece of paper and in SolidWorks. Right. And you know, for a lot of these businesses that people are starting today, especially online, especially information-based businesses, there's a lot of information, endless information on how to do it. And you can literally read about how to start a business, listen to this podcast, whatever it is, mm -hmm. until you're dead. Here's the thing. 
that information, the information that you talk about with information overload is not the right information. So it's like bad information overload because you're never going to hear like say a professional skateboarder is never going to say, you know what? Because I've been skateboarding every day for the last 10 years, I've got too much good information about how to control my body around a skateboard. No, he's got good information overload. In fact, that skateboarder should probably go out and practice more because they're going to become a better skateboarder. That's the sort of information that you need if you want to be successful. Now, I think about like back to my philosophy 101 course, you know, you've got like the world of things in and of themselves. And then you've got like the ways in which we talk about all that real stuff. Well, as an entrepreneur, your role is to be in the real world. Your role isn't to live in this ideal world where people are trying to describe things in and of themselves. You know, you actually need to be doing the things in and of themselves. And so that's why this information overload idea does not apply to people who are in the game. There is no way that someone that's in the business of manufacturing is going to say, ah, it really sucks to get uh, reports about the volume of trading from China in my industry. No, you want that information. So for me, it's really not an issue of volume of information. It's an issue of quality. And so then it just comes down to this. Is listening to a podcast like this quality information when it comes to being an entrepreneur? Probably not. Not by the standards that I'm laying out here because will it get you excited? Will it get you motivated? Will it connect you with other people? Perhaps. But will it start you a business? No. Point number two, the second way analysis paralysis can manifest is when you feel like you're doing something, but you're not really. And you're making excuses about it. For example, you're reading a bunch of information about how to do X. Feels good. It feels good. You're ramping up to it. (laughs) I have a set of fiberglass fenders for my new race car that I'm building. And fiberglass is like a, it's a very lightweight material. It can be a pretty strong material if you make it right. And I'm making fenders out of it. Anyways, I've done some fiberglass work in my life. Like I'd say I'm beginner to intermediate, right? But these fenders, they really need to be good. And so what have I spent my time doing over the last couple of weeks? Oh, reading everything there is to know about fiberglass. What have I not done for the last three weeks? anything to do with the fenders. (laughs) I have made no attempt to repair these fenders that I need, but I have all the information supposedly. But every time I go to do it, I think, well, there must be something more that I can learn to make this better. And so I'm stuck in analysis paralysis on this project. I'm not able to physically go out there and work on this project because I feel like I always need to read more for it to be better. And I think that that's true, but the guy that becomes an expert in fiberglass is not reading about fiberglass. He's making pairs of fenders every single day. (laughs) And with every pair, he gets a little better. This week's episode is sponsored by the boss man and myself, because we're passionate about Dynamite Jobs, a new service that we've created. So every entrepreneur knows that when growing your business, perhaps the biggest hurdle you're going to face is finding high quality, motivated team for your remote business. That's what we focus on at Dynamite Jobs, folks for marketing, customer service, and operations that really get what internet businesses do. At dynamitejobs.co, we'll help you create a killer ad focused on the right candidates, and that's all part of our service. You'll only have to post your job once, and we will share it with targeted candidates on our list of more than 10,000 established remote workers. 
Most companies using Dynamite Jobs find their ideal candidate within 30 days. But if you don't find someone within 60, we'll refund your job posting fee 100%. We guarantee, in other words, you will find somebody from dynamitejobs.co or your money back. And there's more. If you enter the TMBA code on the checkout page, you'll get 50% off that first posting. And of course, if you're listening to this and you're a talented candidate looking to leave the traditional nine to five career path, check out this site on a regular basis. That's dynamitejobs.com. Co. Lots of great new opportunities this week. Go check them out. And big thanks to the boss man for sponsoring this week's show. I owe you a gelato, buddy. Number three way that analysis paralysis can manifest in our lives is simply by having a goal or an object. Let's say a goal that's too difficult or too ambitious. And you know what the thing about having a really ambitious goal is it can feel pretty good to have it. You can almost smell the congratulations you're going to receive. I think a more honest way is sometimes to do something like a Rob Walling sort of stair-step approach. Let me just give an example of this. New York Times bestseller. Yeah, it can be a New York Times bestseller. Or like you're talking to somebody who has a job and they're like, you know what? I'm going to grow a SaaS company that's going to help so-and-sos do so-and-so. And it's like... Really? Like you never go in a company before and you're going to go to like start a, it's just, if you're really more honest with yourself, you might say there are goals that I must meet first in order to go along the path towards that ultimate goal. So if you want to write a New York Times bestseller, might make sense to like start off by writing a blog post and you just stair step your way to more achievable goals. Now it's going to make sense that you're going to have a sense of paralysis if your goal is to make a billion dollars. I've heard this. I've heard this from people in our community say, I want to be a billionaire. Well, okay, nice. How do you get there? What are the steps that you're going to have to take? You got to get to $100,000 first. You're going to paralyze yourself if you're putting two big, ridiculous goals in front of yourself. These two big goals too, Dan, I don't know if you've met people like this, but I still come across people in their 30s that have unrealistic goals and dreams based on where they're at in their life. It's everything you can do like not to laugh, right? Because they're nowhere on that path, which is what you're talking about. It's a form of paralysis because it almost feels good to say it. Yeah. It's like virtue signaling, right? Like I'm the kind of guy that wants to be a billionaire. Chew on that. It's like, okay, well, great. (laughs) The kind of thing that is kind of a bit of distorted reality once you become in your 30s and you're still hearing people talk like this. I don't know if it's it's something about American culture. It's mostly Americans that I hear this from. I don't know if it's something about American culture. I don't know if it's watching the television and thinking that just because you're dumb, you can also be a Kardashian. I don't know what it is. But think about how this can be so easy to fall into this trap. Because you could say, well, what I really want to do, this is a very common goal. I want to like make 10 grand a month from a company that I own from anywhere in the world. That's what I want. And I want it to be passive income. No way. I will not accept active income. I want passive income. The first question that you and I might ask someone like that, I'd say like, that sounds realistic. You know, you have a decent IQ, it seems like. What are your skills? Break it down. Because for even very talented people, that goal could take five years. It could take seven years, eight years. It could take two. But... If you're walking around saying that that's the next toll booth on your highway of life, that's 
paralyzing because it's so difficult to get there. Going along with the end of the highway kind of being the 10 grand a month live anywhere, there's a bunch of different toll booths on that path, right? To that $10,000 a month. And they're not always where you think they are either, right? So the first one could be like 50 feet and then you could drive again for like another 50 miles and not hit another one. So they're not necessarily evenly spaced. They're not where you think they're going to be. And they might actually bring you onto another highway before they bring you back onto that highway. If you can kind of visualize it like that, like there's a maze, right? You're at the beginning, the jackpot's at the end, and you can't see around it always. You have this goal, the 10,000 thing. The idea that you would even know how to get there, given that you haven't gone there before, is insane. But this information overload, this analysis paralysis, there's a part of us that actually believes we know how to get there. And the problem doesn't get solved by knowing where you're going necessarily. Let's talk about the, the final two. So, and to review, information overload, number one, feeling like you're doing something when you're really not is number two. Having too difficult of goals is number three. Number four is fear of rejection. Fear of rejection. Tell you what, like I said, you tell me your crazy ass dream when you're in your 30s and you're nowhere near that dream. I've already rejected you at that point. It's like, <laughs> so. Well, here's the thing. You, like, those are like non-falsifiable dreams. If someone says, I want to do this, that, and the other thing, it's like, it's so far beyond the pale of reality or the current reality, you can't touch it. What are you going to do? Like, how are you going to start to bat that thing out of the air? You know? But if someone says, like, a clear, achievable plan, like, you could critique that thing all day long, you know? Well, let's talk about my route to failure here and my fenders, if we can, for a second here. Oh, man. These fiberglass fenders. It always ends up back in your garage. It does. It does. <laughs> the problem with these fiberglass fenders is that I'm a bit of a perfectionist, right? So when this car is done, I want people to look at it and I want them to say, like, wow, Ian really did a good job with molding the fenders, with building the cage, with all this stuff, right? Because I know me as the person that can walk up to that car and objectively say like, oh, they're a little bit weak in this skill set. Oh, it looks like they did this right, this wrong, according to my judgments. Now, who am I? It doesn't really matter. And the same thing I should tell myself, right, is when people walk up to my creation and they say like, oh, geez, I can see that, you know, there's little lines in the fiberglass here. You didn't quite do that good of a job or it chipped off when the first rock hit it, right? I'm scared of failing on that project. And that's part of the reason why I haven't finished that project is because I don't exactly know how to get to the end again. That's why I keep reading about it. And I fear that whatever I do create is not going to be the best it could be. And the reality is that's true. Like this is the first set of fenders that I've tried to do this with. And it's not going to be the best by anybody's standard. Right. So I need to get over that idea that this is going to be a perfect creation because it's not. It's my first one. It's worth saying that this is closely related to imposter syndrome, which we can get to a little bit. I, I worry about imposter syndrome sometimes a little bit. Yeah. I think there's so much pressure for people to be experts, for people to know what they're doing. And I just wish, like, you know, get rid of that pressure. You know what the biggest mistake people make with their talks? I've reviewed hundreds of conference talks. Presentations, yeah. Presentations. The biggest mistake people make is they go up there and they try to be experts. You don't need to be an expert. What you need to do, stop telling us what you think. Go up there and tell us what you did. And tell us what other people did. Tell us some stories. And back it up with data. And then maybe 
offer some implications. But I don't know, this idea that you got to go up there and you got to, you know, always be an expert, so much pressure, you can't really live up to it. And it's not really that satisfying for the audience either, because I kind of know you're not that much of an expert. And it, That's the most embarrassing part of becoming an expert on stage is that there's actually 10 other experts who probably know more than you that are sitting in the audience. Now, if you go up there, and this is kind of a tangent, but if you go up there and just <laughs> tell people what you know and what you've learned and what you have did, not necessarily what you think, right? Then you're going to draw those people out. So at the end of the conversation, at the end of the presentation, they're going to come up to you and they're going to say like, hey, man, I had this similar experience, you know, but actually this is the way I solved it or this is what happened. Whereas if you go up there and you become a guru, I think you're going to be at ads with a lot of people. You know, that being said, the imposter syndrome is real. Particularly among smart people, right? Totally. It's like you need a little bit of dumb in you to go up there and be the world leading expert on how to live a great life. That's, I'm sorry, but if you're the world leading expert on how to live a great life, you dumb. <laughs> you don't know anything. Like, I am at an age now where I can feel definitive about certain things. Number one, that's dumb. Number two, all the wisest people that I've met in my life would never come close to going anywhere near that position in life. And we know some wise ones. Don't put that pressure on yourself, in other words. That's not what it takes to grow a successful business, in other words, or to do things that are meaningful in the business world. Getting back to this idea of fear, for sure, you're going to fail. There's no doubt about that. You're going to fail in many ways. But as we say, it's like best to fail forward, right? Fail falling forward, not falling back. Yeah. You're going to look dumb. That's all right. All right, number five way that analysis paralysis can manifest itself is by seeking validation. Well, what's the opposite of analysis paralysis? It's instinct, right? It's operating on your gut and going for it. Well, there can be a problem when you start to expose that instinct to other people in the form of information. So now all of a sudden you're taking an instinct that you have about the world and now you're translating it into language and you're communicating it to another person. So now they're dealing with information, which is something different from the instinct that you have. And now they're judging it and they're sanding it down. They're taking off the corners. They're telling you the pros, the cons, and they put it back into your hands and they might say, yeah, it's great. Or it'd be great if you did this, or I think you should do that. And for a lot of things in life, that's the right thing to do. But what I've always said about parents and kids is like, Parents always know the good thing for you to do, but they very rarely know the great thing for you to do because your greatness is something that probably only you can see because it, it would pull together all the strands that you're seeing, not just the ones that other people or a third party can see, right? So I don't know if that resonates at all, but I've always thought like your own path that you instinctually want to go on, that's just in you. Like you have to be brave enough to believe it and not let other people whittle it down for you in the form of permission seeking, in the form of like going to your boss and asking them if you can live your own best life, like going to your partner and asking them if they approve of you living your own best life. Why would you do that? And I know why you'd do it because it's scary to go it alone. So you want people to get on board with it, you know? And you might not have to do anything. So <laughs> can we talk about my fenders again? I was hoping we would somehow get back to the garage. I brought my fenders to an expert, a fiberglass expert, because I thought, like I said, I don't know if I explained this fully in the beginning, 
I bought a set. They're not perfect. I'm trying to make them really perfect. So I brought the set to this guy after I'd you know, looked at all this information. How am I going to fix this? I came to the conclusion that these things are junk, you know, because I was afraid of failing, right? So if I don't have to repair these things, like I'll find another solution, something that's easier, less skillful. I just thought, let me just validate that idea just so I can kind of get out of this situation. I brought him to the expert, takes a look at him and he goes, oh, interesting. Yeah, this is a good start. This is a really good start. No, I wouldn't throw these away. Here's what you got to do. You got to fix this, this and this. And I thought, oh, crap. This guy just validated the idea that these things aren't junk and now I'm actually going to have to go finish them and figure out how to do this. So sometimes the validation works out. Sometimes it doesn't work out. For me, he invalidated my idea, which was they were junk. The problem is that he validated the idea that, hey, these things are workable. And now again, I'm back to where I started, which is I'm still the guy that has to go out into the shop and try and fix these things. And I have to fail and I have to be embarrassed when they're not perfect, et cetera, et cetera. But in the end, I'm responsible for the end result. I'm noticed like in those situations when you're trying to like validate a career path or what, the best advice rarely is when people are critiquing the approach you're taking, but they're advising you on like a next step you could take. Just to recap here, Ian, we're gonna, we talked about the five ways analysis paralysis can infect the entrepreneurial mind. Number one was information overload. Number two was feeling like you're doing something when you're not really. Number three is having too difficult of goals or too distant of goals. Number four is the fear of rejection. And number five is seeking validation from the wrong people. Cool. You know, there's a famous business book called Ready, Fire, Aim. And it's this idea of you don't know the entrepreneurial skill set until you do it. Reading books about riding bikes will not teach you how to ride a bike. But if you've ridden a bike a lot and then you read a book, now all of a sudden you can adjust your aim a little bit. You can smooth out your pedal stroke a little bit, but you got to fundamentally be riding a bike. You got to have that knowledge. Here's what's not going to solve your analysis paralysis. Buying something. If your answer is to buy something, you're looking in the wrong place. Well, my answer is usually to buy tools. That's, <laughs> it's like, oh, I can't do that job until I have that tool. And then I get that tool and I'm like, well, I never used this tool before. I don't know how this is going to work. Well, this isn't really the right tool for this job. I'm going to need to search for another three months trying to find the right tool here. Right. Here's what I think. I think in the modern world, with all the information, with all the groups you can join, with all the people that are willing to tell you what you want to hear, with the jobs that are willing to pay you for the work that you're doing, it's easy to get cradled in all of that and to just keep going along. And I get that. I understand that. But to doing something that's really difficult, like that goal of that $10,000 passive income, live anywhere with your family, trust me, it's possible. People do it all the time. And you can go make steps towards that starting right now. But it takes a bravery, it takes courage, and it takes an honesty with yourself about what those next steps are going to be. A lot of what we talked about in the first five points about how this manifests, it's like when you hold two ideas in your mind that they're incompatible. At one point, you have to flush one of them down the toilet and let the other one flourish. You know, a lot of people, they want to start a business, but oh, they still want to make like a good salary at the same time. You know, it's like they don't want to have to take any risks. They want other people to like cover the risks for them. 
you know, these are like incompatible ideas. You're just going to be in that paralysis zone and probably reading blog posts is a lot of fun. Talking to people about your big plans, that's great. You know, it's a lot more fun talking to people when you're actually in action. Then they can help you. My number one tip for analysis paralysis, honestly, like the story that I've told today, is just stay off the internet for the most part. <laughs> I'm serious about that. Like, What do you mean? I spend less and less time every year on the internet. The internet for me started as a tool, became an entertainment device in a lot of different ways, and now I'm trying to get myself back to where it's a tool, where I use it as a resource, or sometimes to buy things. You know, I think that that's also valuable. but. I use it as needed, right? So like, I can't tell you the amount of forums that I've been on in my life where I've gone through this experience instead of just walking outside and actually doing what everyone was talking about, right? I don't relate to any of this shit because to me, reading articles about growing business is a lot of fun. It's not a problem. Well, a lot of people use it as a procrastination device, right? A lot of people have analysis paralysis. And what I'm essentially saying is like, if you're a person that's susceptible to this kind of stuff, like analysis paralysis, you have a tendency to procrastinate, like I might, stay off the internet. Like, don't go to your naughty place. You got to be honest with yourself. Like, do not conflate reading about things as doing things. Yeah. There are different things. You know, entrepreneurship is fun. Doing business is fun. That's why I'm never going to join some online gaming thing because I got my own online game. I'm an entrepreneur. I run a business. Go do it. Don't be so scared of it. You're going to be rejected. You're going to be stupid. That's part of the game. Part of the game is not knowing where your goals are, not knowing how to get there, not knowing where the net toll both on the road is. Those are all parts of the entrepreneurial life. They are uncertainty. And those are the things that make people uncomfortable. That's the reason why entrepreneurs are at the edge of society and a very appealing one at that, an edge where they get to define where society goes and where their own lives go. And it's not an easy place to get to because most people want to be told what to do. Most people want to know what's going to happen. The thing about analyzing information all the time is that you can know what's going to happen, right? You know it's going to be an article. You know you're going to learn something. You're going to, you know, and like then you can like get your master's and then you can get your PhD and then you can, it's like, all right, well, that's just a different thing. That's a different lifestyle. What is the entrepreneurial lifestyle? It's doing shit and then hanging around other people who do shit too because that's an exclusive club right there. That's the kind of club I want to be in, which is we both did this difficult thing and now we can relate to each other about that. Structured conversations. How about this? Most conversations, it's very difficult to move forward if there's not a structure to it. Sit down with a colleague, with someone who knows something and say, look, here's, here's what I want to get out of this conversation. Here's what I need to address. Can you help me? And give structured feedback about your goals, about what you're trying to do, about your hypothesis, how you're going to test it. This is like a wonderful form of self-care. Most people, they imagine the sorts of conversations so many people have that you just bounce in, you bounce out, how are you, how are you, what's your plan, oh yeah. Nine times out of 10, someone says to you an unrealistic plan that they have for their career, you don't say anything. Why would you, right? In a structured conversation, you go out and you solicit people and you say, I need you to help me find a truth here that will help me to move forward. So that's a way you can do it. For me, there's this power of the deadline. You're not a gardener, are you? 
You don't strike me as a gardener. In fact, I'm at your place right now. There is no garden. But let me tell you, I've put a couple <laughs> seeds into the ground. And if you don't get it done in the right season, you just don't have plants, flowers, vegetables, whatever it might be. On the internet, there doesn't seem to be a deadline a lot of times, does there? No. And in our lives, there doesn't seem to be a deadline, right? Especially if you're young, you're going to live forever. You're going to have plenty of time to do these things. But the truth is that there is a clock running. It's running on the internet. It's running in your garden. It's running in your life. As I get older, I realize how fast mine is going. And the fact that if you do actually want to accomplish something, you need to put those seeds in the ground when it makes sense and when they're actually going to grow that year. We'd love to hear what you think about analysis paralysis. Was there a moment that you had a breakthrough that you got over it? I'd be curious to hear what the listener stories are on that. I definitely can relate to this one, man. We'll be back as always next Thursday morning, 8 a.m. Eastern Standard Time. Hey, thanks for listening to the Tropical MBA podcast. You can go to tropicalmba.com, get access to hundreds of back episodes and all kinds of other goodies. Load up your iPod. That is the cheapest way to fly business class on your next international flight. We will see you next Thursday morning, 8 a.m. Eastern Standard Time.